Should you or shouldn't you buy a dress form? Join us as we discuss everything from choosing to using a dress form in your sewing adventures. Hello and welcome to Threaded Together, a podcast that stitches together home sewing and high fashion. We're your hosts. I'm Tracy. And I'm Rebecca. In today's episode, we will be discussing dress forms. This is our 14th episode for Threaded Together, and we are so excited to have you. And we're thrilled to have you back listening to us again. We usually kick off with something current in the fashion or entertainment world. And while February is a short month, I feel like it's been absolutely jam-packed with things in that arena. Agreed. And the first thing I want to talk about is the Margiela Galliano show because I am still obsessed by it. Oh, yes. What a visual feast that was. It was absolutely incredible. Every look, every detail was truly incredible. I really loved the elevation of a runway show into that art category, which we haven't seen in a long time uh-huh. and was such a hallmark of Galliano's earlier work. I also, though, was so delighted with the Pat McGrath makeup obsession that kind of took the internet by storm with that porcelain skin effect. It was so fantastic. Absolutely. You've nailed it. It was art. It was a performance. It was everything, everything about it from the model's walks to the set design. It truly, truly had it all. It really did. Yes. So this year is also seeing a lot of TV shows about fashion designers. The Christabel Balenciaga miniseries came out in late January on Disney Plus and the Apple TV series on Christian Dior, The New Look, started airing this month. And March sees a new documentary on Galliano, High and Low, John Galliano. I love that there is such a focus on couture fashion. And while I've only watched the Balenciaga series so far, I really enjoy that both that one and the new look employ different perspectives on the same time in French couture history. A slight letdown for our American listeners. I don't think the Balenciaga series is currently available to stream in the US, but hopefully that will change soon as it was an absolute delight. There are also several scenes that actually inform our our conversation today on dress forms, but we'll get to that in a bit. And I have, I've watched both the Balenciaga series and I've started the new look one, but <laughs> my husband was a little resistant to starting the new look because he was like, we've just watched, we've just watched this. This is the same story. <laughs> I was trying to explain to him it was different. <laughs> um, but the Balenciaga series is an absolute feast for the eyes and the costume is incredible and the looks recreated are done to such an incredible level of detail it's really marvelous agreed it was just so amazing to see all of that and i definitely want to go down a bit more of a blenciaga research rabbit hole now that i've watched that because i kept identifying references to gesquier's blenciaga but then realizing that those obviously came from Balenciaga himself, and I certainly have not done enough research. So that is on my list. Mm. Anything else that you've been up to that's exciting, Tracy? Well, I have been doing an online class with the V&A called Chanel to Westward, and it's look, it looks at 20th century designers, um, well, from Chanel <laughs> through to Westward. Hmm. And I honestly have learned so much. And there was one lecture on Balenciaga and I watched the the Balenciaga series having having mm. watched this lecture and I was like oh my gosh look there's this bit and it joined up so many dots for me um and it was, it was oh, just, amazing it was just really really wonderful um mm. and there was a 
fabulous lecture on Chanel and I went back to the Chanel exhibition at the V&A and I was pointing out to my friend <laughs> all these facts that I'd learned. <laughs> so it's been a really, really good course. It sounds like it's been so amazing and we will happily take any learnings you feel like sharing with us <laughs> as you go through that course. Yeah. And so, Rebecca, you had a little pop to Copenhagen for Fashion Week, didn't you? Yes. The The last thing I want to share before we jump right into our topic is I did attend Copenhagen Fashion Week at the beginning of this month and serendipitously had the opportunity to see the latest collection for Xenia Schneider, who we mentioned in our last episode on sustainability. I also had the opportunity to speak with her and she was sharing some of their latest sustainability practices. They're known for a lot of their denim use in the brand's designs, and she found a way to use Ukrainian artisans to hand-weave denim scraps into new textiles that then became garments. To give you a visual, it almost looked like a blue and white tweed that she said was all woven by hand, which is absolutely incredible. I really want to dig into that a bit more and share it with you all, so I'll keep everyone posted on how we're going to do that. Okay, so it's time now for an update on what we have been working on since our last episode. So Rebecca, what sewing have you been up to? I feel like I haven't spent a lot of time sewing, but I did make progress, shockingly, on some of the things I had on my list at the end of last month. Mm -hmm. The trousers I was upcycling ended up turning into a floor-length skirt instead. I also used the scraps from my blanket jacket to make a matching calf-length wiggle skirt, which was so much fun. And I will not bore you with the details, Tracy, uh, but if anyone is curious, I'll put a link to the YouTube episode where I share perhaps too many details on the entire process in the show notes. What about you, Tracy? What have you been working on? Well, I haven't heard that much sewing time. Um, last episode, I said I was working on the finishing touches of my Freddie jacket. And, mm. um, well, I hit a bit of a problem with the last stage, the buttonholes. <laughs> Every <laughs> attempt, my machine just swallowed up the fabric. I tried all the tricks that I could think of, like wash away stabilizer, using baking paper. I tried everything, everything I could think of. And I, I didn't <laughs> really want to do bound buttonholes or attempt to do them by hand. So I decided to send the jacket off to a buttonholing service. I so love I sent that it so much. <laughs> I know, I know. I sent it to DM Buttons in Soho um, and with the buttonholes marked up. And, and then I just got the jacket back with the most perfect buttonholes. And honestly... <laughs> Next time I make something that I've put that much time into, I won't hesitate <laughs> to send it off again. It's a life changer. Especially if it's something that's so challenging like that. Because again, the the thing that I think you haven't mentioned, Tracy, is that it's a tweed fabric. Yeah, it's just yeah. been so challenging. So even if you did do bound buttonholes or attempt them by hand, that would be so incredibly difficult. So why not find a better solution? I love it. Exactly, exactly. You'll have to <laughs> share the link to the service just in case anyone <laughs> lives in there. <laughs> I will. And I will actually maybe share some pictures of the finished jacket. And then I've, I have made a very, very slow start on my pink um, trend patterns coach that I mentioned last time as well. So in a few weeks, when everyone is waiting for spring to make an appearance, I'll be wishing for a cold snap so, <laughs> so I can wear my jacket. <laughs> it sounds so fabulous. And I can't wait to see the finished result in that just show-stopping 
gorgeous fabric. Now, Tracy, whenever I'm working on something and it's in progress, it's almost always sitting on my dress form in between sessions. Is that the same for you? Yes, that's definitely, definitely true. Dress forms may not be the sexiest topic to discuss, but it's one of those things that becomes essential in anyone's garment construction journey, be it a home sewer or a fashion designer, and your relationship to that dress form and what you need it for can also evolve over time with your skill level. Absolutely. So let's start with what is a dress form? And it's a clothing stand in the shape of a person's body, allowing you to observe your garment in three dimensions. Historically, dress forms have held the purpose of representing the body of the wearer of the clothing when they're not physically present, either for display purposes or for fitting a garment. Many articles cite the earliest known dress form as being a wooden one found in King Tutankhamun's tomb in ancient Egypt. Wow, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> fact. Isn't that neat? Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, um, you'll see some dress forms made of paper mache or wood or wicker um, or wax. The use of them, I guess some of them were owned by royalty who had the means to have custom clothing made for them. And we can add a link to like the evolution of dress forms in, in the fashion world um, in the show notes if you want to read more on the subject. The tailored dress form we think of today can be traced to 1828 by the Parisian tailor Gillam Campaign, as detailed in the book Charles James, The Couture Secrets of Shape. Quote, in his educational treatise on pattern making, Campaign encouraged a new level of self-awareness for the mathematically sophisticated craftsmen. He wanted dress form makers to become informed engineers of the customer's body, hoping to achieve the best quality and wishing to provide ideal proportions for the everyman. Campaign recommended imitating milliners and wig makers molding techniques. These methods applied to bust and body doubles provide an ideal fit, enabling the tailor to classify and finally produce patterns in different sizes. Mm. I will air quote some of the ideal fit and proportions in there as that, <laughs> that, that does come from the book and not from me. Modernization of the dress form in its industrial state, as well as the development of a standardized Franco-centric form and set of sizes and proportions came out of this exercise, which was also credited with influencing the future pret-a-porter or ready-to-wear production that began later in the 20th century. And returning back to our earlier mention of fantastic shows coming out in the past months on high fashion during the 20th century, the later episodes of the Balenciaga series cover the rise of ready-to-wear, and you can see how the standard sizing changed the industry. Don't you think, Tracy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And standard sizing, I guess, makes ready-to-wear more achievable. But we see in the series how Balenciaga struggled with giving up the control mm. <laughs> over, over design. And in the series, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, as I think it is a pretty well-documented fact, he, he wins the contract for the Air France uniforms, but insists on adjusting the fit for every single one of the the wearers. Yeah, that's such an interesting juxtaposition in that series that's so perfect. 
especially for exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So the Balenciaga series also provides an interesting view into one of the modern challenges of a dress form when one does not fit a more standard set of measurements. There's a scene where, again, uh, maybe providing a spoiler, but you should still watch it anyway, (laughs) where Balenciaga (laughs) is creating a dress for the future queen of Belgium. And you see the dress form with the additional padding to simulate the unevenness of her figure. And we'll add a screen grab in the show notes on our website, threadedtogetherpodcast.com, so you can get a visual of how that would look because it was really well done and shows kind of how padding a dress form can really make an impact on how you can create the clothing around it. And that's a really good example of the way a couturier would use a dress form. And we've talked in the past about how some modern designers prefer to design from sketches and on paper, and some are more likely to drape their designs and some work across both methods. So Tracy, how might a dress form then be used in our home sewing? Well, there's so many uses for dress forms in our home sewing practice. So there's draping, there's hemming, there's adjusting the fit and and also just letting the dress hang for 24 hours before <laughs> hemming it. So draping, um, draping. So this is where you drape your design directly onto the dress form. And this is something we talked about in our episode about V&A where, where um, she definitely favoured that technique and, and made it quite famous. You can also then switch between flat pattern making and draping to perfect your pattern. You can let a dress hang for 24 hours before hemming it so that um, it can drop drop out and and you can get a nice even hem. And we talked about this in episode five where we talked all about hems. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you let your dress hang on a dress form, then it will hang much better than if you were hanging it on a hanger and letting it drop. And then you can also use the dress form to ensure that you have a nice level hem measuring from the floor up. And a dress form is also really good for adjusting the fit. So when you put a garment on the dress form, you can see how it would appear on your body and make adjustments accordingly, um, especially if you don't have a, a friend to pin you in place. <laughs> <laughs> it can be quite useful for adjusting adjusting the fit. Absolutely. And I I like to think of it as anything that if I had my own atelier with a fit model, (laughs) I would want to do on them, like pinning things, draping, adjusting, visualizing, all of those things I'd want to do on a dress form. Maybe not the hanging to hem for 20 or four hours, but that's (laughs) where the dress form perhaps is even more useful than a fit model. (laughs) Yeah, that's a definite advantage. Dress forms used to only be available in a very limited fashion. According to the New Vogue sewing book, which is not so new, it was published in 1980, a dress form in that era should, quote, have a heavy, sturdy base and be adjustable for figure changes, different heights, and convenient storage. (laughs) In our 21st century life, though, dress forms are easy to find, but very rarely as customized to one's figure, which leads back to our thesis question of what might be the dress form to have. So there are lots of different types of dress forms available on the market. So first up, there's custom forms. So there's some companies that offer a service where from a a video or a scan, or I think some of them you put an outfit on and 
pose around in front of your, your mobile phone. Oh, neat. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll take your measurements and then create a custom form for you. And this isn't a completely exhaustive list, but here are a few companies, and obviously we'll link them as well in our show notes, um, who have read up on about their custom forms. So there's Beatrice Forms, there's Mimiquin, there's Ditto Forms. And um, I mean, they look really neat. Obviously, the disadvantage of those is if you then put on or lose a lot of weight or mm. <laughs> or, or change shape significantly that that form um is an outdated version of your yourself and tracy i don't i don't know if you know this but is there a price ballpark price range for those that you can share or should we check them out ourselves and oh be horrified God. yeah i think check them out yourself and be horrified <laughs> <laughs> i think they're in there it's certainly in the hundreds yeah interesting okay Another form of dress form is the adjustable dress form. Adjustable dress forms have dials at key points in the form to allow you to adjust the size to your needs. These are more practical if you anticipate making clothing for people with different size figures, and the dials allow you to do that. One drawback, however, to these dress forms is they're usually not stuffed to allow for the flexible piece movement, and that makes it much more difficult to pin things to them. Mm -hmm. On the less expensive end of dress forms, they're also only available to adjust within a specific size range. So one dress form will allow, say, modifications within a size small to medium, in the range of several centimeters, but would not be able to be expanded or contracted beyond that. There is also the concept of DIY dress forms. So a DIY <laughs> dress form is where you make them up yourself. So there's a lot of love on the internet for the bootstrap form, which um, you can you can see on bootstrap fashion. And you basically plug in your measurements and it generates a pattern, which you then sew up and stuff it as you go. And there's lots of really great Ooh. explainer videos on, on that. Mm. Um, I, I guess if you're sewing's very accurate, it could be, <laughs> mm. and you've got the patience to stuff it well, it would, would make a, a nice dress form and then another one which is uh, a proper proper diy dress form is a, a duct tape form <laughs> and so mm. this is <laughs> truly a diy dress form in, in the truest sense and there's a great article um on threads magazine which we'll link to which with a full how-to guide on it but in essence um you wear some good fitting and underwear <laughs> and then mm. a long a long t-shirt as a base and then have a friend who um <laughs> who who doesn't mind getting up up close and personal um snugly wrap duct tape around you <laughs> starting from <laughs> the bottom the bottom of the form <laughs> so like in the, in the middle of your thigh I guess and, and working up and then cut into the t-shirt as as needed as you hit into the underarm and um try and contour across all your shapes um as much as possible and then you know using a bit of cling film at the top to get a nice shape on the top of your neck. And then once you've taped in, just tape you again, but vertically and then horizontally. <laughs> and then <laughs> mark up some key lines like your waist and things. And then basically, once you're done, you're cut out of it. <laughs> um, and then and then you stick it back together and stuff it. So, as, I mean... <laughs> as, as much as we're laughing, though, uh, this is something that I see on the internet all the time with yeah, a lot yeah, of... Yeah a lot of people who are making pattern pieces from scratch don't want to actually have to draft a pattern quickly and it's something fitted you could just duct tape a bust and cut it off and that's yeah. going to fit perfectly so 
yeah, it's a it's a clever strategy. My only thing I think with that would be I I would worry about sticking any pins in something that has. Yeah, no, it would be too the duct tacky, tape. wouldn't it? Yeah, lots of really clever ideas. <laughs> yeah, I'm just laughing at the idea of <laughs> you know, sort of taping you up and <laughs> it's trying to think of like the, the getting cut out of it <laughs> when I probably would have like accidentally wrapped it too tight and then couldn't get the scissors. <laughs> in. That, that would be my yeah, yeah. I think I mean it could be could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then lastly, I guess we've got the, the professional stands. So, and, and these are the ones that are used by fashion designers and fashion schools, um, and they're expensive. Um, but you can find some that are reconditioned or pre-loved. And I think they also offer reconditioning services as well. So if you find an old one in need of love, you could could have it reconditioned. But the, the kind of standout brands um, for that are K&L, so Kennet and Ninzel. And the Stockman ones, so Siegel and Stockman. And if you wanted to drape or you want to make garments for standard sizes, a, a professional stand is is really the one that you probably want to consider. And speaking of draping, Tracy, there's something you always bring up to me anytime I say I'm going to try to drape something in full size. <laughs> yes, that, that is right. <laughs> I'd like to call out the half scale mannequin. So they can be really useful for draping or trying out ideas or if you're making your own pattern. If you do it on a half scale block, you can get there much quicker. You can try out the ideas and, and do it with a lot less fabric <laughs> if mm -hmm. you do it on a half scale. Um, and so any time I've done any pattern cutting or draping classes, they always have the half scale dummies to use. So I did get myself one and it just, just looks cute in my sewing room. It doesn't take up much space, but I know that it's a it's really good to pin on and try ideas out. Um and so I we can send it put a link in the show notes for um for the one that I have, but I really do like it. That's a great idea. And a more sustainable option as well. <laughs> well, it certainly uses less fabric. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we have made a case that there are enough types of dress forms that you can find one that suits your needs. What do you think are the most important things to then consider, Tracy, when choosing one? Well, I think if you are guessing one to mimic yourself, um, whatever you do, make sure it's got the correct back length because you can always pad out width but you can't <laughs> can't mm. pad out height right um <laughs> and make sure that you get you get one that fits your shoulder width as well and thinking of the options that we had listed before do you think it's likely we'll actually find one suited to our measurements or do you think modifications and customizations will always be necessary well i guess it really depends on whether you're one of the few people in the world who could be a fit model and are absolutely <laughs> standard size <laughs> um <laughs> But given that's not many, many people out there. Touche. <laughs> I think it also depends how much money you want to spend, right? Um, because yeah. if, if you wanted to get one that fits you perfectly, that's certainly a lot more money than a, a standard um, adjustable form. Okay, so I guess once you've got your form though, depending on the form you have and how you want to use it, you might want to consider marking up your dress form with some of the key lines on it. So the bust line and the waistline. And for this, you could use Shoban tape and Shoban tape is quite good for designing styles as well. Um, or you could pin in place some cotton twill tape. Um, 
that's like a you know about a quarter of an inch wide and that's quite good for marking your your key lines on your dress form absolutely yeah so tracy what kind of dress form do you have and how do you feel about it Mm -hmm. um well i have an adjustable dress form that i stuck an old bra on it padded it out for all my you know lumps and bumps and um and then put a, a cover on it um so i like it a lot um, I use it for hemming and letting things hang and um, a little bit of adjusting the fit. But it isn't the best mm. to work with if I want to drape or design, um, mainly because the cover's a bit slippy and so it won't hold the markings properly. And because it's not stuffed the way the same way, the whole like all the way throughout, I yeah. can't always pin, pin where I want to, which you mentioned before is a, a downside to an adjustable form. Um, but at the point of making the decision to get one, um, having one that matched my size was was what was important to me. So um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy with it. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's still useful for adjusting fit. It's just not not ideal for draping. Mm. What one do you? What do you have? I also have an adjustable dress form, and I greatly dislike it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's definitely definitely an example of you know I I didn't really invest very much in it, and it really shows. There's almost no padding. So if you make something fitted, not only can you not stick any pins in, but there's also just no give to the form. So even if it's exactly the right measurement, you still have to adjust the form smaller in order to actually get the piece on and off since there's no squish or flexibility like there is on your actual body. I have padded out my form with the bra as I think most of us have in order to get the right bust measurement since that's almost always the case and that I really don't mind. My biggest gap in the dress form in my opinion is um, having no shoulders or like sleeve heads and then the padding piece around pinning is really challenging. So adding those two elements would make my life so much easier when it comes to like jackets and sleeve placements and my... (laughs) I just remembered one more grievance with my dress form, (laughs) which is that it can't hold very much weight. So I have had it just like collapse a couple of times. Yeah. (laughs) With uh, when I was trying to display like a heavier sweater or something. So have you got it too high? No, it was just very, I think it was 15 pounds. I don't know what the grams is a heavy sweater, but it's not that heavy. No. Well, I did a lot of research when I got mine initially. I mean, I just need a bigger sewing room and then I can have more dress forms. That's the answer. I we think. just need studios. <laughs> we just need our atelier and then, <laughs> then we'll be off. And speaking of ateliers, we <laughs> reached the part in our episode where we link to high fashion and what a great opportunity to bring up one of our favorite designers to study, Charles James. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have another episode where we dabble a bit on the Charles James discussion, but we also will have more in the future, I am sure. But for today's purposes, Charles James was a bit obsessed with studying human anatomy, and that was a foundation of so many of his designs. What you may not know, though, is that a lot of that study was done around a dress form, creating, padding, and testing different shapes and silhouettes that he then shaped his garments around. When 
we think of our own paths as home sewers. There's so much inspiration that can be drawn from this example. Charles James is considered one of the greatest designers when it came to innovative construction and fit. And one can argue that that all stemmed from the exploration of shape using his always very customized dress forms. So if we're willing to perhaps get a little bit more innovative and creative with our own dress forms and make sure they truly represent our own figures and shapes, could that in turn spark even more creativity and innovation in our own designs and creations? What an inspirational idea. (laughs) Perhaps. (laughs) I also will mention that if you saw on social media while we were researching this, I found a fold out in the back of our Charles James (laughs) book for uh, the shoulders to add on to your dress form. And so I need to do that as my next update to my dress form to pad it out a little bit because that is one of my biggest challenges. So hopefully (laughs) Charles James will inspire me yet again. So Rebecca, what are you working on next other than your Charles James inspired (laughs) dress form amendments are you working on next well Tracy in the mad dash to get ready for Copenhagen Fashion Week I did basically all of my sewing in like two days (laughs) last month (laughs) and one of the things that I tried and failed to bring to fruition was a strapless jumpsuit that I also cut out potentially a non-strapless part two so that's sitting currently in my um, sewing room awaiting a revisit uh, to get that finished I almost chopped it up to make trousers but I think I'll try to to stay true to the vision to actually be a jumpsuit ah exciting i'm gonna just keep plodding on with my pink coat and um and hope i get it finished before the weather properly changes that's my aim that's what i'm gonna keep working on I'm so excited to see your jacket, Tracy. And as we're talking about our next makes, I can't help but wonder, what are we going to do with any of our leftover fabric? Also known as our scraps, which brings us to our next episode. That's right. We are going to be talking all about sustainability yet again, but this time honing in on scrap sewing. Ideas for how to minimize your sewing waste and get creative with your sewing practice. It's going to be a scrap-tastic episode and we can't (laughs) wait to see you there. In the meantime, I'm Tracy. And I'm Rebecca. And this has been the The Reddit Together Together podcast. (laughs) See you next time. Looking forward to our next episode in a month. Make sure you give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify. You can find more details on what we discussed today in the show notes below or on threadertogetherpodcast.com. And for more behind the scenes and regular updates, you can find us on all social media channels at Threaded Together Podcast.